YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. Greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite undocumented social studies teacher, whose love for freedom could easily brand me a fascist today. Ironically, by those who know nothing about fascism. Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, folks. I know it's been a long time since my last episode. It's just, you know, things just got away from me. But here we are. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. I got to check those emails. Please send me your questions, your comments, your concerns, your ideas, your criticisms, whatever. Send them to Professor Liberty. 1776 at gmail.com. You know, criticisms are the easy one. I, I really get a lot of those, actually, Mr. Palumbo, actually, Mr. Palumbo. Do you guys get that? Like, you know, like I told you, uh, my expertise is just enough to make things interesting. But I get a lot of, actually, Mr. Palumbo, did you know, actually, Mr. Palumbo. Anyway, I either get that or I get the smiley face emoji. We've talked about that in the past. I guess the smiley face emoji is the counter to any intelligent discussion. So today we're going to discuss on this podcast something very risky. I thought we would talk about politics and economics. Maybe it's not as risky as politics and religion, but we're going to talk politics and economics. Well, mostly politics today. And, you know, just like politics and religion, politics and economics are two things people uh, don't know much about but tend to have quite the opinion. Politics and economics, two things that should go hand in hand. You know, in Europe, politics and economics are one school. So if you go to school, uh, university in, say, England, their school of economics is with the school of Politics, political science. Here in the United States, politics is political science, and a lot of times economics is in the business school. But they are the left and the right hand. They are the glove and the hand. I can only think of hand analogies at the moment. You know, and it's these two things uh, uh, people don't really care much about, especially Americans. Politics and economics. The former has become a tribal war of platitudes, and the latter has become some bizarre witchcraft too complex to think or care about, and somehow socialism is the answer for everything. Well, we don't shy away from boring topics here, folks, because I, and I could be biased here, I believe the two things people should be well-versed in before graduating high school is indeed Politics and economics. I wonder how many times I've said those two words. Americans should understand how their government works, and they should understand where their money goes before they receive a paycheck. I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who said that a republic can only operate with an informed and engaged citizenry. Now, that might have been John Adams. I don't know. It doesn't matter because all the framers understood this concept. 
Well, what is Jefferson saying here? He's saying that in a free society, we must have citizens who are informed and engaged. In the end, the government gets its authority through the consent of the governed, like it says in the Declaration of Independence. Well, that means us, folks. We give the government authority. Well, how do people keep the authorities in check if they have no clue what the rules are? Think of it like this. Imagine life is a baseball game. There are a set of rules, and there's a natural flow of things. There's a specific way the game works. However, there are times in a baseball game when conflict arises. There are times when mistakes are made. There are disagreements with certain calls and so forth. We know that the umpire is the gamekeeper. When umpires make bad calls, what happens? The crowd boos. The players protest. The manager comes out and, you know, kicks dust on his shoes and gets ejected. Why does this happen? It happens because everyone knows the rules of the game. Everyone is engaged with the game. Sure, there are some spectators at the game for whatever reason. They're just there. They have the day off. They don't care. But most are invested in having their team win. And even though the umpire are supposed to be neutral, they're human. They make mistakes. With enough protest, you can see in a game an umpire correct his behavior. Maybe he ejects the manager for calling all these balls that were strikes, but then you kind of notice the balls start turning into strikes. Well, umpires are human, right? And the people that make our government, the people that are running the government, they're human too. But what keeps them in check is the fact that we know what's going on. The point is that engaged participants who are informed of the rules keep constant watch and steady pressure on those in charge of the game. And that's how our society is supposed to work. The citizens keep watch over those in charge. But we don't have that today. More and more, we have a large swath of the population not engaged. And they're ignorant to how all of this is supposed to work. The result of this is less sincere and a more chaotic political atmosphere. Think of it like keeping the baseball analogy here. Think of it like imagine most people in the crowd not knowing how the game works. Just imagine this. Almost everybody in the, everybody in the stands have no idea what they're watching. They don't know about the pitches or the outs or how to score. Because of this, when conflict arises, it, how would they even know if it was a conflict? Right? And, and if nobody knew what the conflict was, umpires could do whatever they want. There was no video. There's no replay. Nobody cares. In fact, maybe the only thing they care about is, is their team winning or losing. And we'll get to that in a minute. Of course, the opposing team is going to exploit this ignorance. The umps are going to exploit it. The teams are going to exploit it. They will say outlandish things that only knowledgeable baseball fans will scoff at. However, the ignorant fan, they're going to take this outrageous claim completely seriously. Because it just favors their team, or it favors the game, or it favors the rules. The truth doesn't matter. All that matters is their team wins. Did I not just describe our current political environment, the politics of the United States today? Our politics have devolved into a gladiator match. 
It's my guy versus your guy. Never mind that both guys are terrible choices for president. Never mind that I don't really know why my guy is better. He's just got the right letter next to his name. And and never mind that I know I know nothing about the system, but my guy is better. Think about that, folks. Really think about that. We have people that are saying my guy is better and they have no idea how the system works. So how do you know if your guy's better? We have people that vote for presidents based on how they look or based on how they speak or based on how they talk or based on how many promises that candidate is going to provide or guarantee. We have people that vote for the other guy because they hate the other guy. That is the sole criteria by which they vote for the leader of this country. So I want to talk a little bit. Let me unpack a little bit more about this. I want to go back to the last two presidents, President Donald Trump and President Barack Obama. Now, you guys know I'm coming at this from a center-right, conservative, libertarian bend, so you might not agree However, I think I make a good case. I am a government teacher after all. All right, so let's go back to President Obama, the historic election, the first not all-white president. America had come full circle. The American story again showed itself to be this incredible story of redemption and change. In just 50 years, the United States went from a segregated nation to a nation that voted for a candidate that was half black. How incredible is that? Most people don't realize for Barack Obama to become president, that means he got a majority of white people votes. Is that the narrative offered to the ignorant masses? Nope. Somehow after voting for the first black president, the country was more racist than ever. And other than his appearance, what set Barack Obama apart? What communicated to the public that he was qualified to be president? His background is still shrouded in mystery for the most part. He was only in the Senate for half his term before deciding to run for president. He had no major legislation tied to him. While in the Illinois Senate, he voted present most of the time. The guy was a mystery. And yet he became president of the United States of America. Okay, so let's go back to the baseball analogy. Imagine putting an unknown pitcher in the game during the World Series. Who would do that? It's the ninth inning. You've got two outs. You need one more out. You're calling in your closing pitcher. You bring in a complete nobody. and You don't know anything about this guy. Can he even throw the ball? You don't know. Nobody would do that. But here we are giving someone we don't know incredible power and influence. Why? Eh, he wasn't white. The color of your skin, being black, being white, has nothing to do, it has no bearing on somebody's leadership or executive skills. Speaking of executive skills, this is why most of the time we vote for governors, because governors are executives of a state. So when they get promoted to the presidency, it's kind of a, you know, it's obviously a lot more work, but they're executives. They know senators do nothing. Senators propose legislation and it might pass or it might not. Senators talk. Senators approve justices. That's it. 
Senators don't even prove treaties anymore because we don't make treaties, at least not how the Constitution prescribes that we make treaties. Before Barack Obama, the last senator to get elected was John F. Kennedy, who is also, coincidentally, the first television president. John F. Kennedy got a lot of female votes. John F. Kennedy was supposedly an attractive guy. Many people voted for John F. Kennedy because he was attractive. Now, I'll have to say, I would take John F. Kennedy over Barack Obama any day. But you guys see the point. How are we choosing our leaders? How are we deciding whether they are up for the job? Nowhere in the private sphere, well, actually, maybe with this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion, I might be wrong now, but nobody that wants to do well with their business is going to hire somebody and give them the keys to the, to the castle. They're not going to give them the keys to the kingdom just because they're black or just because they're a woman. I want to know you're going to be able to do the best job. So what happened under President Barack Obama's term? The economy lagged. Government spending skyrocketed, which it does under every president since Lyndon B. Johnson. Social and racial unrest only increased. Obama showed himself to be an ineffective collaborator. Instead of bringing opposing parties together, he gave speeches and accused Republicans of obstruction and clinging to their guns and religion. He was uncomfortable with this idea of American exceptionalism, so he focused on making sure America looked just like every other nation, which many people took as looking weak. All the promises of hope and change were just lofty words. Now, people familiar with politics, people who understand the game, weren't surprised at this at all. When Barack Obama got elected in 2008, I knew that his ideas, remember, the economy was crashing, remember the, the, the bank crisis, remember GM and the auto, I knew that his ideas were exactly the opposite of what we needed economically. But the ignorant masses, they ate it up. Barack Obama is still cool and different, and awesome, and he's not one of those stupid, boring, old white guys. But, but in the end, it's all rhetoric. Nothing changed. There's no hope. There's no change. There's no unity. Black Americans are still poor. Nothing changed. And in some cases, especially racially, America got worse. We took a step back. And then came President Trump, the knee-jerk reaction to Obama's presidency. Obama's policies laid the framework for Donald Trump to become president. The Donald was already a national celebrity going all the way back to the 1980s. He was a reality show star, and most importantly, he was bombastic. He was brutally honest, or at least that's what was portrayed. What was his political experience? Well, even less than Obama. At least Obama was elected to office but it didn't matter that Donald Trump had zero political experience. He was loud and proud. He was the Tommy Lasorda or the Bobby Cox of politics. Baseball managers that took no grief from the empires. Baseball managers that were going to fix the game and tell it like it is. Uh, if you haven't noticed by now, the umpires are the government in this baseball analogy. The two baseball teams are probably the political parties anyway. For whatever reason, Americans, we like brash. We like the outspoken cowboy candidate. 
Think Andrew Jackson. Think Theodore Roosevelt. And think of all that they benefited from their personas. Donald Trump took this to an extreme. Trump ran on an America first agenda. He denounced the foreign wars and the old foreign alliances of the Cold War. He pointed out how China was taking advantage of the U.S. via trade. And most importantly, he promised to drain the swamp. Well, did any of that transpire? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I do want to throw a small anecdote in here for a moment. I knew back in 2016 Trump was going to win. I still remember this to this day when I saw Hillary Clinton campaigning in deep blue Michigan. I remember it was like the 11th hour of the campaign and Hillary was in Michigan. I'm like, she doesn't have that on lock. And then I just knew. I just knew Trump was going to win. Democrats don't campaign in Michigan. Why is she there? So how did Trump do as president? Well, the most positive actions he took as president, in my humble opinion, was nominating conservative Supreme Court justices with how powerful the Supreme Court is today. That was a win. And cutting government regulation. I've often theorized that it's probably this second action, the cutting of regulation, was probably the most important thing he did. And it almost instantly spurred the economy. Go back and look at the graphs. Like I said earlier, the economy under Obama just lagged and lagged. Of course, the media and and the administration kept saying how good it's going to get. And as soon as he leaves, I mean, it just skyrockets. So many investors were sitting on their money during the oppressive economic Obama years. And just like that transition from Carter to Reagan, once those regulatory shackles were taken off, millions of people put their money back into the economy, buying, selling, trading, investing. Another good thing was probably Trump's foreign policy. Even though he was very bombastic, he was actually a president of peace and negotiation and diplomacy. There was peace in the Middle East with the Abraham Accords. There was, there was talk with North Korea, something presidents from both parties refused to do. He spoke with the dictator in North Korea. And I guess maybe an honorable mention would be the tax cuts, but that's a mixed bag. Why is that a mixed bag? Well, a lot of the tax cuts expire soon, so what's the point? Short-term tax cuts do spur short-term growth. So what about the bad? Well, he promised to get out of Afghanistan, and we didn't. Uh, He didn't drain the swamp. The federal government grew just as much under, and in some cases more, under Trump than did Obama. Spending was not cut. Some better trade deals were negotiated, but not much. He didn't build the wall. Uh, uh, Mr. Palumbo, hey, this is the first time I've done a conservative mocking. Mr. Palumbo, he built the wall. No, he didn't. The wall, there's holes in the wall. If you haven't noticed, go look at the news. Thousands of people pouring over. So he didn't build the entire wall. That was one of his promises. And what about China? I mean, he did try to go toe-to-toe with China, but I would say China won. Now, now obviously, the current administration is not going to hold China accountable for anything. Uh, China's got a lot of money in a lot of politicians' pockets. That's all I'm going to say about that. But what about the lockdowns? That happened under Trump. What about the vaccines? That happened under Trump. What about the stimulus checks, which causes inflation? Some of that is under Trump. So not all of this inflation is Biden's fault. And like I said, the swamp wasn't drained. In fact, if you're paying attention, go back and rewind the tape. 
The swamp beat Trump, not the other way around. The swamp spied on his campaign. The swamp made up scandals during his presidency. The swamp leaked his phone calls. The swamp frustrated his policies. The swamp impeached him twice. The swamp used the pandemic as an excuse to change election laws to push him out of office. Even now, the swamp is harassing him with indictments after he's been uh, removed. If anybody is objectively looking at the score sheet, the swamp is kicking Trump's butt. But yet you see all of these Trump worshipers on social media saying he is the only one that can save the country. It's incredible. The swamp ran circles around him. What makes people think that if he were to be elected, it wouldn't happen again? Well, they're not thinking. They don't know the rules of the game. People don't know how our government works. They don't understand the politics. And so they just want their team to win. Interestingly enough, these same people are the ones that expect the umpires to call the game fairly. I think we can put the idea to bed, ladies and gentlemen, if anything, the current prosecution of Trump and his handling of secret documents and all these other things is proof that the game is slanted. For the most part, the umpires help one team while ignoring the other. So that's where we are, folks. We're living in a baseball game. But this game, most of the crowd have no clue what the rules are. Most of the crowd are on their phones, posting to TikTok, or they're at the game while they're not even watching the game. We have a baseball game overseen by umpires who are only concerned about appearing like they're neutral. But they call balls for one team and strikes for another. We have two teams that are both terrible. Remember, these are the political parties. The crowd overlooks their team's blemishes and points out all the bad things of the other team. All that matters is that their team wins. Even with both teams chipping away at the foundation of our country and our freedoms. We vote Republican. We vote Democrat. We listen to all the talking points. And the only thing that changes is the guy in the Oval Office. The government still grows, our freedoms still shrink, and less and less people understand how the game works. How long can a game like that last? Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple iTunes and give me a five-star rating. You can also hit us up on Facebook and Twitter, or I guess it's called X now. If you'd like to look at some activities and lessons, go to TeacherPayTeacher.com and look at Professor Liberty for anything for homeschooling or for your social studies needs. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.